Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Anthony. And uh, we're going to pray together as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would have uh, mercy on us tonight. And we pray that you would act sovereignly to open our eyes and our ears uh, to hear you. And uh, we pray that in your mercy you would unveil the truth for us uh, through these scriptures. And uh, we ask of that in Jesus' name. 
Amen. It's about uh, 22 years ago that uh, my wife Catherine and I became Christians, became disciples of the Lord Jesus. And uh, looking back over that now quite long distance, uh, those were very joyful times, really joyful times, uh, but also in some ways quite difficult times. We had a very large number of university friends, and uh, we were very keen at the time to tell them all about it. And um, we were very pleased when they, when they listened. They did listen. But did anyone follow suit? Not one. I remember one of them asking me uh, at one point in one of our conversations, how do you feel about the fact that none of us, none of us are going to become Christians? We also have uh, quite large, wider families, and we get on with them pretty well. It's all quite amicable most of the time. Uh, so we were keen to talk to them too. Uh, so over the 22 years that we've been doing this, how many of them have become disciples of Jesus uh, like we have? Again, not one. Um, it's unsettling, isn't it, uh, when these things happen? It's a bit like that moment uh, when you're driving on the motorway and uh, your mobile device or your sat-nav lets you know that there's an accident and the road ahead of you is blocked. And so you think, I'm pleased I knew that. Uh, and you begin to leave at the next exit. But then as you do so, you notice that although the motorway is crowded, absolutely nobody else is doing the same. You know, they've all got the, the same kind of devices. So you think, have I got this right? Uh, you know, if I haven't, this is a really, really dumb thing to be doing. What, what do they know that I don't? Likewise, in the Christian life, it's often a lonely path, is it not? And often, it seems, no one is going this way. We call them to. We might call them to desperately, but they don't respond. And so we wonder, have we got this right? What exactly is going on? Well, the good news is that we're starting a new series in Matthew uh, 13 over the next four evenings and uh, I think this is going to deal with precisely this kind of discouragement and doubt in the Christian life. How is it going to do that? Well it's going to do that by uncovering or unveiling the truth behind what lies on the surface of our experience. Uh, by unveiling the truth about what God is doing in the world and all his future plans for it or to put it another way by unveiling the kingdom. You see, the coming of the kingdom, or the kingdom of the heavens, is the big news at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. It's the big news that Jesus has been delivering so far in the gospel. What is this kingdom? Well, you might like to think of it this way. Um, I wonder, have you ever suspected that there may be some kind of fundamental fault line in the universe? Uh, I don't think we have to uh, look very far, do we, to, to suspect that that might be the case uh, as we struggle with, our, with ourselves, with, with others, as, as we read the news or watch the news. Well, if that's your suspicion, you'd be right. And in Matthew's Gospel, that fault line is described as a fault line, a split between heaven and earth. Heaven, on the one hand, representing the good rule of God, and earth, where we are. Those two 
rains, areas, separated, and separated by our rejection of God's rule. Or to use the Bible shorthand, separated by our sin. But the big news that Jesus came to deliver is this, that the kingdom of the heavens is near. In other words, a time is coming when heaven and earth are going to be reunited in one kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, under the good, unopposed rule of God. And that truth, that reality about the future should change everything. It should change everything about how we think about life, the universe, and everything else. It's momentous news. Uh, I guess it's quite bad news uh, for those who stubbornly want to continue in their opposition to God. Uh, But it's very good news for those who somehow find find the humility and good sense to come to Jesus, to be reconciled to our God as he bears the burden of our sin. But the problem at this stage in Matthew's gospel is this, and I think this is a problem we can identify with very, very closely. The problem is this, Jesus has been speaking this, he's been proclaiming this, speaking about the kingdom with great authority and uh, backing up that that proclamation with, with extraordinary miracles. It's been a spectacular time. And yet still, many, many people have not responded. Or perhaps they have responded, but only really kind of superficially, not really listening to what he's saying. And uh, I imagine as the disciples have been watching that and going about with Jesus, that has given birth to doubt. After all, if the kingdom truly is coming, uh, we might expect more of a response, might might we? Uh, More of a take-up. And so when we see what seems to be an apparent failure in Jesus' ministry, we do ask, what exactly is going on? And likewise, when we do the same thing, speaking of Jesus and the kingdom, and nothing much happens, perhaps, what is going on? It's a question we might well ask too. So what happens in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus takes his next big teaching opportunity to address this very issue. And at Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, we just had read to us, uh, he's there sitting in a boat because the crowd is so huge. He's front of this enormous bunch of people. And at verse 3, he begins to speak to them in parables. We then get a whole chapter of this gospel of Jesus' parables of the kingdom. And we've got the luxury of having the first two weeks to look at this first and most important of the parables Jesus tells in this chapter, what Jesus calls the, the parable of the sower. And next week, we're going to be looking at how this parable encourages us to be personally responsive to Jesus, to his news about the kingdom, to have ears to hear what he's really saying, to seek and find the secrets of the kingdom, and to persevere against all adversity in fruitful discipleship. All of that we're going to look at next week. But that leaves us this week to to focus on the other main function of this parable. And that's to deal with this problem of discouragement, disappointment and doubt when we witness so many negative responses to Jesus. And in that situation, this parable is going to encourage us to keep speaking about Jesus and the kingdom. That's the take-home message tonight. Keep speaking about Jesus and the kingdom.
And the rest of our time this evening, we're going to explore that uh, a little deeper in two parts. Uh, first, verses uh, 1 through to 17, uh, we're going to look at um, the whole idea of not being tripped up by those mixed responses uh, because it is God's will to hide the kingdom from some and to reveal it to others. And then from the explanation of the parable in verses 18 through 23, uh, we then get, um, if, we then get a, uh, if we get a bad response as we're speaking about Jesus, these are verses which will uh, cause us not to be discouraged because indeed Jesus warns us in advance that some won't respond. And some of those who do may change their minds. It shouldn't surprise us, it's to be expected, but some will respond. So putting all that together, we can be encouraged tonight to keep speaking about Jesus and the kingdom. Well, let's have a look at the first part of that. Verses 1 through to 17. It is God's will to hide the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. It is God's will to hide the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. From verse 1, let me read. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Perhaps not surprisingly, Jesus' disciples are somewhat puzzled by this. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to them in parables? He replies, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom and did so perfectly, uh, when he backed that up by glimpses of the kingdom bursting in uh, through his healing and exorcism miracles, uh, does that mean that everyone got it? Everyone understood? No. No because it is God's will to hide the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. Likewise, when I speak of Jesus and the kingdom, not perfectly, but faithfully, do I automatically expect a positive response to that? Well, again, no, because it is God's will to hide the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. Now, what's happening here is something that rather amazing and that's that we're being given a glimpse behind the curtain of reality uh, to see things uh, to a certain extent from God's point of view and from God's point of view there are two groups of people Uh, to one group he is revealing the kingdom to the other he's hiding it to the first group the word of the kingdom brings great blessing Uh, The kind of blessing Jesus says that many prophets and righteous men longed to see in the past. But to the second group, the word of the kingdom serves as a kind of punishment, reinforcing their rebellion. Now I wonder how you feel about that. It might surprise us, I guess, that the word of God can have that, that, that negative function alongside its more positive one. But actually, when we think about it and think about the scriptures more widely, it has always been so. Think of Moses in the book of Exodus, bringing the word of the Lord to Pharaoh over and over again. Let my people go. 
But each time Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder, reinforcing the judgment coming his way. It was the same when the prophet Isaiah, whom Jesus quotes here, the same with him. You can see in verse 15 here, he was given this unenviable task of speaking the word of God to a people whose hearts had become calloused, stony, and hard. And the Lord warns Isaiah, don't expect a response. They will see, but not really see. They will hear you in one sense, you know, their eardrums will be vibrating, but they won't really hear or understand. And that is why Jesus is speaking in parables. For some, the parables draw them in, like the disciples here in verse 10. They want to find out more. To them, more is given, especially as Jesus explains the parable Something hidden about the kingdom is unveiled to the disciples. But for others, the parables push people away. Even the small thing they had is taken away. Now, take John from the Decapolis, who heard Jesus one Saturday morning on Galilee Premier Radio, and uh, said to his mates, This guy's great. He's great. And he's brought all his family along to hear Jesus live. They've got front row tickets, right on the shoreline, prime seats. But you know, he's been listening to all this farming stuff, shaking his head, and at the end he says, wasting my time, wasting my time. Not a single miracle, not a single one. There's much cursing and swearing in the car on the way home. For John, a knowledge of the kingdom has been held back or taken away. He's seen, but he hasn't really seen. He's heard, but he hasn't really heard. But Elizabeth from Bethsaida has been listening carefully. You know, she's a bit puzzled too. She doesn't really understand yet. But she can sense that something important is happening. So she does what the disciples do in verse 10. She comes closer to Jesus to find out more. And to Elizabeth are given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Some have the little they had taken away. Some have what they had multiplied wonderfully. Same message, different results. It's God's will to hide the kingdom from some and reveal it to others. Now, I appreciate that this uh, idea, this truth, may make many of us feel a little nervous uh, or even upset. Uh, But remember what we're doing here. We're doing something really quite unusual, something that's bound to bring a bit of puzzlement. Uh, We've been given the opportunity to look at things from God's point of view. Now, that's okay here because Jesus is encouraging us to do that. But in many ways, it's not a, a normal thing for us to do. So we can expect it to throw up a number of difficulties and mysteries. So if what I've said uh, makes you feel worried that this is somehow unfair or unjust or perhaps kind of fatalistic, uh, don't be worried. It's not. And uh, we'll have more about that next week. But for those of us who are able to accept this, this should actually be deeply encouraging 
It may not seem that way at first, but it should actually be deeply encouraging. The late John Chapman, uh, who was a much-loved Australian evangelist, uh, once said that if, if this wasn't true, you know, the fact that, that God is sovereign to reveal things to some but not to others, if, th- if that wasn't true, he couldn't see how he could keep going as an evangelist. You see, if God weren't in control in that kind of way, then all the responsibility for revealing the kingdom to people would lie with us. Now just ponder that for a moment, what that would mean. That would mean that we would have the responsibility directly for people's eternal destiny. Their eternal destiny would depend on how well we speak of Jesus in the kingdom. And I hope you agree, as John Chapman saw, that would be really an impossible burden for us to bear. But the good news is, that's God's responsibility, not ours. Our responsibility is the ministry of the word and prayer. That's a comfort not just for full-time evangelists, but for all of us. Perhaps one of the reasons why you're holding back from speaking about Jesus in the kingdom is, is, is the fear of fluffing it up. You know, you might be saying to yourself, I don't feel ready for this. I don't feel trained enough. I don't feel that I've got the right words. What if I mess it up? And they reject Jesus forever. But let me tell you not to hold back for that reason. Let me tell you that if you know Jesus, you are already more than qualified to speak about it. We speak and we pray And then mercifully, we leave the rest to God. So that's the first encouragement for the disillusioned disciple in Matthew chapter 13. God is in control of the revelation of the kingdom. Or we could put it another way. Given that, there will inevitably uh, be mixed responses to the message of the kingdom. We won't be able to tell in advance which way it's going to go, but there will be mixed responses to the message of the kingdom. And that takes us to the second part of what we're going to look at this evening in verses 18 through to 23. And when we encounter those mixed responses to the message, Jesus' message to us is this. He says, don't be discouraged. Because Jesus warns us in advance here that some won't respond well. Some won't respond well. Don't be discouraged. Also, be encouraged, because some will. In particular, be encouraged in continuing to speak of Jesus and the kingdom, speaking the word of the kingdom, because that's, you'll notice here, is the seed right at the heart of this parable. That's what it represents. Remember how the parable began. So verse three, a farmer went out to sow his seed And uh, the first thing that happened was verse four. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Uh, Now look across to Jesus' explanation over in uh, verse 19. uh, Across the page, he says this. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, that's the seed, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So someone speaks of the coming kingdom, just like Jesus. Well, the warning here is, 
sometimes that simply won't be heard at all. It's like when you're sowing seed and some of it barely touches the ground before it's snatched away, says Jesus. That could well happen, he warns. It will happen. Not all of the time, thankfully, as we'll see in a moment, but at least some of the time. So don't be surprised when it does. What we then get from Jesus in these verses here are some other things which might happen when we speak of him and the kingdom. So, for example, we might at first get a very positive response, a joyful response to the word. But then when the Christian life proves a little hard, the person falls away. That's like seed that falls on rocky places and fails to form proper roots, says Jesus. Or perhaps, again, we initially get a very good response But then the person gets more interested in their career or the pursuit of money or consumed by some other kind of worry or distraction. That's like seed which falls among thorns, says Jesus. Those young plants get squeezed and choked to death. Those positive responses which go wrong can be deeply, deeply, bitterly disappointing and discouraging. I can look back with sadness at some examples in my own experience. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you'll be able to do that too. But that does happen, says Jesus. It is disappointing. It can be desperately, bitterly sad. But don't be surprised when it does happen. But thankfully, thankfully, last of all, it doesn't happen all the time. Verse 23 But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay then, so let's think about this. How, putting this all together, how then is this an encouragement to keep speaking about Jesus and the kingdom Well, just imagine I was the farmer in the parable, knowing that not every single seed will produce a plant and a crop. Suppose I was that farmer, knowing that truth, knowing how it works. Would that cause me to give up on farming? Uh, Interestingly, we had this very experience in our own garden uh, earlier this year, uh, a bare patch of earth where there should have been grass. So we bought some grass seed, Now, suppose in my considerable ignorance about gardening, I was under the misapprehension that every single one of those seeds would be effective and grow into a blade of grass. You know, I might be a little stingy in the administration of the seeds onto that soil and then a bit disappointed when nothing much happened. But would my response to that, once I kind of realised what was going on, would my response to that have been, should it have been, oh, well, then I won't bother You know, we'll just have earth. That's fine. I like earth. (laughs) Of course not. If anything, it would be the opposite, wouldn't it? I wouldn't sow less seed. I'd get more seed and spread more seed and more densely, more liberally. The farmer in his field, me in my garden, knowing how it works, we spread more seed, more liberally. And of course, it's the same about speaking about Jesus and the kingdom. Yes, it is disappointing when people respond poorly. It can really hurt, in fact. 
But knowing how it works, we're not tripped up by that. We're not tripped up. We're disappointed, yes, but we're not unduly surprised. We've been forewarned that it's going to happen. And so we don't give up. In fact, if anything, we speak more often, more liberally. That's what makes sense once we've grasped that. Let's let's think of uh, some examples here. In fact, we don't have to think very hard about an example because we're actually in an example. How cool is that? Instant application before the sermon has even finished. You see, what I've been doing up here is preaching the word of the kingdom. I've been speaking of Jesus. I've not been doing that perfectly, but I am doing it. Uh, Which means that here tonight you represent all the different soils. And uh, Jesus is telling me tonight that there will be a variety of responses to what I'm saying tonight. You know, me from this position, I need to know that. And so will you if you ever find yourself in a similar situation, perhaps not preaching, but speaking the word in some other situation. And uh, if I didn't know that, uh, let me tell you that it would be very, very easy to be discouraged I'm not alone in this. The, the great reformer Martin Luther was a, was a great preacher. But in, in 1529, he was so frustrated with his congregation in, in Wittenberg that he told them this. This is a great quote. It must have been a tense moment. Listen to this. I would rather preach to mad dogs, for my preaching shows no effect among you, and it only makes me weary. You can imagine the silence that fell after that. So great was his disappointment, really, with his congregation and how unresponsive they were. You know, those blank faces. that he gave up preaching for the best part of a year. Uh, But what's interesting is that he didn't give up. What's good, in fact, that he didn't give up forever. And uh, what's very interesting about that is part of what encouraged him to start up again, to keep going, was reading and understanding the parable of the sower. And it encourages me too. It should encourage you too. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that, it's really interesting, isn't it? Even if it was him here tonight preaching to you the kingdom, and therefore preaching the kingdom perfectly, okay, even if it was him here tonight, we could still expect mixed responses. We could still expect mixed responses. Some would be disappointing, but some wonderfully fruitful. And it's that, it's that possibility, that possibility of a fruitful response. Somewhere out there, you know, someone, please, that keeps us going. Drives me to keep it going, just as it drove Luther to pick it up again and keep preaching. So I will finish this sermon. And I do feel encouraged, indeed, to preach more, to be more faithful, and to teach and preach more, not less. Because it's not just about me. It's not really about me at all. It's not just about upfront teaching and preaching and evangelism. evangelism. Remember that we're all called by Jesus to speak of him and the kingdom, uh, making disciples wherever we are, building one another up in the truth, reaching out to, to needy people around us, And uh, I suspect that many of us may be holding back in that in in different ways, perhaps having had some discouraging experiences. 
so if that is you, and it's quite likely that a number have been in that situation, don't be discouraged. It is to be expected. That is how it works. Not every seed produces a plant and produces a crop. So be encouraged to do more speaking, more speaking, not less. So if you're a Bible study leader and you've been faced recently with a, an array of blank, silent faces, you know, getting a response feels like trying to wake the dead and it's frustrating and you feel like giving up. Don't give up. Keep going. Do more of it. Or you're trying to have a much-needed conversation with a friend, but they, they keep stonewalling you. You're not responding to your messages or texts. Keep trying. Or suppose you've invited 20 people, 20 people to join you at Christianity Explored this term, but not one of them has said yes. But the next one might. They really might. Next time, invite more. More, not fewer. I've uh, come to realise over the years that the main thing Christians need um, from, a, from a preaching ministry, I think, is the encouragement to keep going uh, against the odds, against appearances. It is difficult, isn't it? It's difficult with so many not responding all, all around us, so many confidently driving off in an entirely different direction in life. Uh, we see that happening, and the, and the Christian faith doesn't feel at those moments, particularly safe and secure. It's like that, that moment on, on the motorway uh, that I began with. Um, our, our confidence can be shaken when that happens. We watch them do that. Now, our faith f- for that moment at least doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel connected to a, an observable reality. Uh, and that, I guess, is the, the difficulty of doing what we've been called to do, which is to live by faith and not by sight. But the good news we've experienced tonight is that we're not alone on this path. We have Jesus with us and he's uh, promised to be with us until the end of the age. He's with us by his spirit and he's speaking through the words of scripture. And it is, to say the least, much more reliable, safe and dependable than being guided uh, by your sat-nav. See, he really does know what's going on. He can see things we can't otherwise see. And he graciously unveils them, graciously tells us the truth. And so we can begin to understand what we do see. And of course, he understands what we're going through as we're facing all these mixed responses because he's been through it too. Uh, even, even preaching the word perfectly. And tonight he's especially pointing us to the possible encouragements that flow from him, from speaking about him in the kingdom. Now, that wonderful possibility of much and great fruit. And uh, once we've grasped that, we do more than just simply keep going, don't we? Uh, we do more of it. We speak more of him. Well, let's pray that we would. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you tonight uh, through this scripture, through this passage, showing us behind the scenes of reality. Thank you that it does kind of explain what we see. Thank you that it takes uh, away the doubt and disappointment that we might get, uh, the challenge to our faith that we might get when we meet up with 
mixed responses. Help us to be ready for that. And we do pray that understanding this would encourage us to speak of you more and not less. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.